Um, please pull out your Bibles if you've got them. Um, pull out an app on your phone if you have a Bible as an app on your phone. Uh, generally, we've said if you don't have either of those, pull out your phone anyway. Pretend like you've got an app. I can't tell the difference from here because the screen faces you. Um, you can feel free to text if I get boring. Anyway, so if you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We will be putting the verses up on, in the background anyway on the PowerPoint. Um, for anyone listening on the podcast, there is a PowerPoint, but you won't be missing that much. It's mostly just the Bible verses, so don't worry. Although, to be honest, if you're listening on the podcast, there's a good chance you're my mum, and um, I'll show you the, pod, the PowerPoint anyway. Good. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 to 16. Uh, this is the NIV version. I'll read it out. We're looking this morning at being prepared to give an answer. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Our main focus this this morning is actually going to be on the first verse of that, on uh, verse 3, verse 15. I've shown it up here in a couple of different versions. If we can put that up. So we've got the New Living Translation version, which is uh, more of a paraphrase in simpler language. It says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Then we have the New American Standard Bible, which is a more literal translation, um, which instead of saying, be prepared to give an answer, says, be ready to make a defense. Um, And make a defense is the more literal translation there. That would typically be defined as a verbal defense, um, a reason statement or an argument, um, similar to making your case in a courtroom. It's that kind of language that's being used here. We'll come on to that a bit more later. So be prepared to answer people's questions. If we can have the next slide up. There's a quote from Milton Jones, um, a fine preacher, uh, but you probably know him more from Mock the Week. Um, He's a a comedian who's also a Christian. You might be familiar with this idea of uh, having having a question put to you um, that might be somewhat challenging or seeming also somewhat hostile at times. You know, this person asking, why is there so much suffering? Uh, I don't know, could have answered that better. And that might strike a chord with some of you. All of us at some point will have been asked a question about our faith where afterwards gone, oh, really, really could have been better prepared for that. And that's not to be condemned. That happens to everyone. And in actual fact, no one of, none of us are ever going to be able to give a perfect answer. Um, but some of you will very much identify with this, you know, uh, the idea of people asking you to give a reason about your faith, uh, you know, might feel you feeling uncomfortable. The idea of putting your hope into words in any form of public setting or even just in a conversational setting might make you feel uncomfortable. Others of you might actually go the other way. You'd, you'd relish the challenge of, of debate, discussion, even argument, those of us that are somewhat more combative by nature, and I probably put myself in this category, um, you know, might be more than just kind of a bring it on kind of attitude. And um, you have to be equally careful with that attitude as you do with the being slightly fearful attitude, okay? Hopefully there's a middle ground down the middle whereby we can give people a reasoned answer, but we do that with gentleness and respect. 
However we feel about it, we do have to be prepared and realize that people will ask us about our faith and that we're responsible for the answers that we give. Um, And often in this context, it helps to, to say, typically our natural inclination is to think that all the questions are going to be hostile, you know, or difficult. You know, why is there suffering? What if you're wrong? Why do you think your faith is unique? You know, how can you believe that the Bible is accurate? And these are appropriate questions for people to be asking us, and we need to be able to give answers to those questions. And uh, those are going to be things that people have on their minds. But it's not always going to be that style of question that, that we get asked. And the verse hints at this. It says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Hope's very much a positive quality. And um, I think that speaks of people noticing actually the difference that God makes in our lives and actually being drawn to that and wanting to ask questions about that. You seem to have this hope. Why is that? You know, and people are going to be asking you know, more intriguing questions about that. Why, you know, this Jesus that you talk about, why is that? Okay. Why are you so peaceful? How come you're generous? You seem to be you know, a lot kinder than other people. You always seem to quote such insightful and thought-provoking sermons. These are obviously hypothetical questions. Okay. But you will be asked questions because you live by a different set of values. And more than that, you're of a different kingdom. Okay. I'm speaking to those of us um, that are Christians this morning that are already walking with Christ. Um, if that's not you this morning, I hope there's other things that can, you can draw from this. And in actual fact, actually some of your questions might be answered this morning. But those of us that are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Okay? We walk around carrying the very presence of God. Okay? We are light in darkness. Okay? 2 Corinthians 2 describes us as being the aroma of Christ. And that we bring that wherever we go. And when that meets the world, it generates a reaction. And it says in 2 Corinthians 2, we are the aromas of, I'll read it out, the aroma of Christ. To, to one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Okay? So some people are going to notice more of the positive, other people there might be more actually a confrontation and a reaction. And we should expect both of those, and we shouldn't be discouraged when it seems a more negative reaction, or actually take particular pride when people are you know, praising us outright. We should expect both of those things because we live in a different kingdom, okay? and we bring that out with us into the world. So the one thing that people shouldn't be towards us is indifferent, okay? But we will get other reactions across the whole range of that spectrum. So we need to be able to give an answer. And this is the main driving point of the verse of 1 Peter 3.15. It doesn't ask or, or wonder whether people will ask us questions. It kind of takes that for granted. It assumes that this will happen. It assumes that that's the natural result of interactions between uh, between Christians and the world we live in, that there will be curiosity and sometimes there'll be challenge as well. And we have to be prepared to respond to that. So let's come back to the verse. 3.15. A bit of background around it first. Obviously, 1 Peter was written by... one. Peter, good, it's not a trick question. Now, 1 Peter was written by Peter. Feel free to write that down. Um, And obviously, so this is Peter, one of the 12 disciples, then the apostles, founding father of the early church. And 
Rather famously, Peter had once been asked a question uh, just before the death of Christ and had famously blown it and not been prepared to give a good answer. You know, just after Gethsemane and the arrest of Jesus, someone came up to Peter and said, weren't you with that Jesus bloke? Uh, And Peter could have been prepared to give an amazing answer, but instead said no, and then ran away. And yes, he was forgiven, and Jesus reinstated him. Jesus loved him and actually put him back as the rock at the foot of the church. But I do wonder whether after that and being reinstated, Peter was like, must be better prepared next time. Don't blow that again. I mean, either way, I mean, that's a theory. But either way, the next time that Peter was called on to give an answer uh, to a public question, it was the day of Pentecost. And he preached a sermon and 3,000 people got saved. So something had changed and he'd definitely done his homework and got better prepared. So I hope that can inspire us. You can go from one to the other, from running away through to preaching 3,000 people getting saved. Be prepared to give an answer. That's what we're going for. Okay. The letter is probably written around AD 63 to 64. It wasn't written to one person or one church even in particular. It was intended to be read across a range of churches. And as such, we can take this that this was intended to apply to all of Christendom, that there is no one that this verse doesn't apply to. It was written to what's likely a group of churches across what was modern-day Turkey. Um, And the letter encompasses a range of themes, um, including suffering um, and including living as a Christian in a secular world. And 3 verse 15 is broadly within that context. And the key word in the verse is the Greek word apologia. Should we put that up? Yeah, we go. So apologia, which means to make a defense. Um, We think pronounced apologia. I've heard apologia. It's very difficult when Google and Wikipedia give you conflicting information. Um, But apologia, I think we're going to go with. It means to make a defense. Um, Consider that in in the kind of almost the legal style of making a case. Okay. And we mentioned earlier that it would be a verbal defense, a reason statement or an argument. And now making a defense that that can seem to have uh, almost a negative kind of connotation, okay, that we're just behind our bunkers with harsh questions being thrown at us or rocks thrown at us or whatever's coming at you, and you're just definitely, you know, uh, fending off questions, just trying to defend yourself. A bit like being an England cricketer, I would imagine. Um, but Oh, sorry, sorry. Someone's not happy with the smack talk on the England cricket team. Anyway, um, so it doesn't have the, the negative connotation of thinking actually have to be on the back foot. In actual fact, all we're going to do, be doing is defending ourselves against these. It has the aspect of making a defense, making a case, similar to how it would be used in a courtroom. But it's also very much used with an evangelistic setting. Okay? Um, it's used many times in the New Testament. One of its uses is in Acts 26. Um, when Paul stands before Agrippa, and he says, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you as I make my defense. Okay, so that's, that's how the word is used, make my defense. And then he goes on to make his case. He shares his testimony, and he preaches the gospel with a view to converting those who are hearing his message, with a view to introducing them uh, to the man Jesus Christ. So it's not just desperately fending off questions. It's being able to engage people, share your story, share your hope, and share the reason for your faith. 
So, and it's this word apologia from which we derive our word apologetics. Um, and apologetics means speaking in reasoned defense of the Christian faith, often as a conversational evangelism. Now, those of you that might have heard the word before um, might associate that with kind of just more apologetics, with just more public debate, you know, with sticking a Christian and non-Christian in front of the Oxford Union and letting them have out and thinking, well, that, that's not really for me. Okay, it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not an intellectual debate. This is not just for the philosophers, for the public speakers. This is primarily, I think, being intended to be used in a conversational setting. You know, you'll be asked by your work colleagues, by your friends, by your relatives, by your neighbours. And yes, one or two of us might be called to speak in front of the Oxford Union, and bless you if you are, but that won't be most of us. And most of us, in actual fact, it's just a matter of engaging people in our everyday lives in conversation and hoping to share our faith in that setting as they ask questions. So how do we do that? If we look at the first part of the verse, David, would you just be able to flick back to um, 3.15 in the NIV version? Yeah, great. It says, set apart Christ as Lord. This is the first step. And uh, this sounds like an obvious point. Um, and we know from Sunday school that Jesus is always the answer. But he is a good answer. And he obviously is the source of our hope. Without him as our Lord and Savior and friend, we don't have any hope for people to be questioning in the first place. Your relationship with him is your priority, absolutely, in all of this. That has to come first. Uh, To quote Ravi Zacharias, who's uh, quite a famous apologist, he says, The lordship of Christ over the life of the apologist is foundational to all answers given. And this sounds obvious, but it can get neglected, especially um, if you're someone that loves to engage in debate, who relishes that kind of discussion, the intellectual challenge of it. Um, You can get passionate about the discussion itself. You can start just putting your energy into researching the topics. Um, You can get, you know, caught up in, you know, debating techniques and caution on, on the quality of your answers. And somewhere along the way, you lose the sight of the person that you're doing all the discussing for, of your first love, of Jesus. To quote Ravi Zacharias further, he says, "Speakers Speakers fall into a huge trap when they are more concerned about how they say it than whom they are pointing to. And so our aim in all of this is not to be developing amazing debating skills, discussion skills, although those are good, and if you have those, then you use them. Okay, but our aim is actually to share Jesus and always set him apart as Lord. Setting Jesus apart as Lord also, it keeps us focused and it realizes why we're doing that. And it will mean that our aim won't be to, to moralize, to talk down to people, to appear spiritually or intellectually superior, but actually to introduce people to a friend, to the Son of God, the God of love. Also, Setting apart Jesus as Lord, hopefully, um, should help us set our priorities in discussion. Because often the, the questions that are asked of us are often side issues, not related to Jesus. Um, whereas our f- faith hinges on, on Jesus uh, and not the other details. If we can just put up the, the Milton Jones quote. Uh, so Milton Jones again, I'll just quote him, he says... What's rarely mentioned by either side in the creation versus evolution debate is that it's not the most important thing. Okay? And 
This is important, and this will be important to some people, and as such, we need to take it seriously. So there are lots of issues that people will have questions about, and it will matter to them, and so we need to respect that, and we need to take that seriously. But it's not what our faith hinges on, and that's not the source of our hope. Okay? And you'll find that people will often want to ask you questions about the side, the side issues. I've got a brief alliterative list here, because apparently it's important in preaching to have some alliteration with things beginning with the same letter. So, here we go. Most people want to ask questions about suffering, science, sex, skepticism, and sauropods, rather than sin, salvation, and the Savior. There we go. Um, if you, thanks, thanks. Here all week. Um, if you're wondering what a sauropod is, it's a dinosaur, but dinosaur begins with D, and as such, it doesn't alliterate. Um, and so, anyway... Um, And it's important to be able to have those other discussions, especially if those are potential barriers to people coming to God. And those are good discussions to have. And you shouldn't just kind of, you know, blank, not answer any of those and just say, you know, answer everything, just Jesus, okay, you know. Otherwise, someone will come to you, what do you think about dinosaurs? I love dinosaurs, but not as much as I love the Lord Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? Okay. You do need to be respectful in the way that we do about that. And if someone raises that and that's an important issue to them, you need to take that seriously. But in the end, we want to talk about Jesus. Because um, you can be a Christian and believe in evolution. Sorry, some of you are looking at me a bit aghast at that. But no, that's true. Okay, You have to acknowledge the creative role of God in the universe. But in actual fact, our faith doesn't hinge on that. It hinges on Jesus, on his life, his death, and his resurrection. Okay, there's other things. You can struggle with theories around suffering, and you can be a Christian. You can struggle with issues around sexuality, and you can be a Christian. You can't do any of it without Jesus. He's the author, and he's the perfecter of our faith, and he has to remain absolutely central. So this is why it says, first of this, this, the start of this verse, set apart Christ as Lord, both because that's most important for you, and ultimately because that will be what's most important to anyone that you're talking to. So Jesus is our focus. He's also our example in this. Um, And obviously in his time, he got asked a lot of questions. And he is our our ultimate example of personal evangelism. And so we're going to look a little bit about things that we can learn from how Jesus responded to people. Um, Now obviously there's a whole range of things that you could learn. I could probably go with... You know, 10 points on that. You'll be glad to hear I'm not. Um, But there's a range of things we can learn in how Jesus interacted, how he engaged with people, how he answered people's questions. I'd like to pull out just two of those first. First, briefly, he pointed to the miracles that he performed. It's generally a good answer. It points to Jesus as, you know, more than just a teacher and he's able to give this as an amazing reason to believe in him and the words that he says okay and for us as well we don't preach purely a theoretical religion i know you know this i'm and i'm preaching to the converted on this but it's important that the reason that we have the hope for our faith is that we believe in jesus as the authentic savior okay The man, Jesus Christ, that came, lived, died, rose from the dead. He did miracles then, and he's still in the business of doing them now. And we can point to that as part of our answer. Give an example from Scripture. Um, If we put up the next verse. When 
when John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the real deal? How can we know this? Jesus just replied like this. He says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Okay. This is Jesus' answer. And this is a great answer. If you're able to say these, just look. And he stands back, rather than, you know, listing, going through all of the Old Testament scriptures, which he could have done and would have been relevant to some. But he's able to just to say, how do you know that I am the Son of God, I'm the Messiah? Look at this. I set people free. I raise the dead. I heal the sick for miracles. When the paralytic man was brought to, brought to Jesus, the chap carried by his friends and lowered through the roof into the room where Jesus was talking, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Uh, the Pharisees asked, why does this fellow talk like that? You know, they were questioning who he was and his authority. And Jesus says, well, I want you to know that I've got authority. And he heals the man and says, get up your mat and walk. The man gets up and walks. Jesus has given his answer. Okay. Pointing, to people, pointing people towards the supernatural power of God is a great answer to people's questions. Okay? And it doesn't mean we must not be intellectually lazy. Okay? We still need to be able to give a reason answer. But we also need to preach to people, like I said earlier, that we do not just teach a theoretical religion. This is not primarily a value system or a philosophy. Okay? We preach a person who rose from the dead, who forgives sins, loves unconditionally, heals the sick, and sets people free. And that's the people we need to be able to point people towards. But you already know that. I know this is good. I know that actually this church, so many of you are actively engaged in that, of bringing the supernatural into part of your everyday lifestyle and your everyday conversations. And, uh, and that's amazing. And we need to have that always in our mind, that we need that balance. We need to be able to engage with people in a conversation, but we need to be able to demonstrate the supernatural power of God. Second, second, answer, second point as to how we look at how Jesus answered people's questions. He often answered with a question of his own, often questioned the question. And this wasn't him ducking, ducking the issue, but he wanted to engage with people. He wanted them to think. Okay? He didn't want just a Q&A session. For example, um, when one of the teachers of the law comes to him in Luke 10 and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Okay, and Jesus could have given a perfect answer. It wasn't that he didn't know. Okay? Um, he could have said, given an absolutely word perfect answer as to what this man needed to do to inherit eternal life. But he wanted to engage with this man. He wanted him to think. He wanted actually discussion to go backwards and forwards because actual fact... Um, that's a better way of imparting information. It's a better way of seeing where the other person's coming from. I'm told there's somewhat of a tradition amongst Jewish teachers of, of doing this, of, of questioning the question that's put to them. Um, there was once a famous rabbi, and uh, one of his students came to him and said, Rabbi, why do you always answer a question with a question? And, uh, and the rabbi said, Son, why shouldn't I answer a question with a question? Um, story may or may not be true. I heard it from a man in a pub, but it's a good, good illustration. Um, 
I've taken, I will always try and tell you when some of the sermon might not be true, uh, just so that I don't mislead you. Uh, ever since at my son's dedication, when I said that Samuel meant chunky monkey in ancient Aramaic, and someone believed me. <laughs> you know who you are out there, but your secret's safe with me. It's all right. Okay. So, yes, I w- occasionally the illustrations there, I have no idea where that's come from, but it's a good story. Let's look at one more. Dave, can we pick up Luke 18? Is that all right? Okay. So a man comes to Jesus and asks him a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So we see here again, Jesus questions the man's question. Why do you call me good? Why is he asking that? And that's with a view to discussing and establishing what this man already knows. He wants to get at really what's driving the man to ask that. He gets an idea of this man's worldview, of how he already sees himself. Does this rich young ruler already see himself as righteous before God because he's kept all of these commandments? So he doesn't want to give an instant answer. He wants discussion. He wants to see, actually, this man's heart and know more of that so that he can best help him. And then he identifies the barrier that is coming between this man and God, and he challenges him on it, but he offers a way to come through that and to come to him. So it's very much a, not just giving out one scripted answer. It's tailoring that to the individual, engaging with the people, seeing where they're coming from, trying to see what is it that you're thinking, what is it that you already know, okay? how do you see yourself? He's not trying to win an argument. Um, he's just trying to find a way for this man to come into relationship with God, and that's Jesus' aim in conversation. He pinpoints what's stopping him coming and offers a way through. Now, actually, those of you that know how the story ends, the ruler actually goes away unhappy, and um, he doesn't take Jesus up on his offer, which shows we're not responsible for people's responses. Okay, That is not on you. You are not to have any guilt if you speak the truth, if you give an answer and people walk away. Their response is their own their own business. Our response is just to speak the truth in love and that we need to be prepared to give our answer to them and just to put that out there and try and offer a way for people to come to Jesus. So on that point, so Jesus often responds when people come to a question, asking a question of his own. And what are the kind of questions that we might ask? Well, I think there are very some basic ones. Is I think that you can generally ask of pretty much anyone that comes to you a question is, Why are you asking that question? Why does that matter to you? Why is that important to you? Because then rather than just launching into our set answer that we've got scripted, we can engage with people, know why they are asking the question. And interestingly, 1 Peter 3 verse 15, it says, be ready to give an answer, not be ready to give the answer. Okay? There isn't one right answer that you need to have memorized that you give all the time. Okay? Partly because that looks weird. 
Partly you say it to more than three people, they'll start to find out. And also, that's not really actually engaging with people. That's not having a conversation. Okay, That's the Q&A session that we spoke about earlier. And it's an important distinction. Okay, Because people will have different motives, different worries, and different ideas when they come to us and ask these questions. No one asks a question like, why is there suffering purely in a vacuum? Everyone has suffered at some point. Okay? People come and ask these questions because they are important to, you, to them, generally. There's always going to be some that they actually their only, their only agenda is to try and catch you out. So they'll ask a question, you'll answer that, and they won't engage in any way. They'll just skip on to the next one until they can get to a question that you can't answer because some people, their only aim is to trip you up. There's no openness there. You need to recognize that. And you still deal with that with respect, but in actual fact, unfortunately, there might not be that much of a way through there. Whereas trying to ascertain, you know, what is it that you're really asking? Are you really wanting to know the answer to this question, or is there something else behind that? So asking, why is this important to them? Why have they come to you with this at that point? Um, I'll give you an illustration. Uh, I work as a GP, and, uh, and people, commonly, people commonly come to me saying that they've got a cough. Generally can't do much about a cough, but people come to me anyway. Um, and imagine that I see two consecutive people, each the one that's come with a cough, okay? And both of them, I actual fact, consult the consultation very thoroughly, okay? Ask them questions about the duration of their symptoms, the type of their cough, their smoking history, their family history, any other symptoms. Do a thorough examination, check their chest. No, chest is clear. Say, that's fine. You don't have a chest infection, send them on their way. Now, one might go out completely happy and satisfied with the consultation, one might go away still very anxious and still very unhappy. And that's because I haven't got to the heart of the matter. I haven't asked them, why have you come about this cough? Okay? And if I ask them, why are you asking this question, I get much more to the heart of the matter and can tell what their worries are behind this. So when I ask that question, I discover that the first patient who comes to see me with his cough He's just going on holiday next week. He doesn't want to be unwell for that. So when I tell him he hasn't got a chest infection, perfectly happy, off he goes. The second patient, when I ask him, you know, what's your main worry about the cough? He says, actually, it's a year since my father died of lung cancer. And a cough is the first symptom that he presented with. Okay, so him, although I've given the same answer, I haven't got to the heart of what his real worry was. I haven't addressed his real concern, and so he goes away unhappy and still worried. Whereas asking, why are you asking this question? Why is that important to you? You know, that's really key. In a similar way, like we said, most people don't ask these questions as pure theory. There's life stories behind these questions. We talked about the question, why does God allow suffering? Someone comes to you and says, why does God allow suffering? Try asking them, you know, why do you ask that? Is there anything particular you're thinking of? Is there suffering in your life at the moment? And you might get out. Actually, I was in a car crash five years ago. I've been in pain ever since. Okay, offers you a bit more of a route in there as to why they're asking that. You know, you can be more, you know, more sympathetic. You know, offer to pray for them. 
And this doesn't mean that you don't need to know the theory, okay? We still need to know the broad principles around why there is suffering in our world. You need to know the early chapters of Genesis. You need to know Romans and the other texts that are responsible for that that give us the information. Because some people will just want, actually, to know, actually, in theory, more on a philosophical level, why is there suffering? But often these questions are personal to people, and that's what we have to realize. Some people aren't after the theory, give you another another illustration uh, one day i got in from work got back from the surgery uh, got in to see joe asked joe uh, how was your day joe said uh, actually you know not so good been feeling a bit poorly got a really sore throat um and very much still in gp mode a sore throat oh say ah ah <laughs> uh, quick look went nah it's viral that's just a viral infection. You'll be fine in five to seven days. Off we go, job done. Um, and it turns out Joe wasn't after a diagnosis. <laughs> I know, it's shocking. Um, that, that, that wasn't what she was expecting of me at that time. Okay. And uh, yeah, and I thought I'd done an excellent job there. And it turns out five to seven days' time, my diagnosis was proved correct. It was a viral infection, and she got better and was fine. But that wasn't what Joe was attempting to tell me at that point. Okay, she was just trying to communicate that she wasn't feeling her best. But I hadn't really listened. Okay, some people aren't always after the theory, and we have to ask the questions of people as to why they are asking that. So, yeah, like I said. Why do you ask that? Why is that important to you? Ask them, what do you think? Okay, this is a perfectly reasonable question to ask back. And again, it's not ducking the issue. Okay, you still need to have your answer that you can give if they ask you that back in turn. But asking them, you know, what do you think about this? And then they'll start to share, you know, their ideas, their worldview. You can get much a, be- a much better idea as to where they're coming from. So... Be ready to give an answer, and sometimes that answer can be a question. Ask them what they think. Open up a discussion. Let's come back to the verse once more. Um, 3 verse 15. So we've said, you know, the keys there. Firstly, set apart Christ as Lord. Secondly, be prepared to give an answer. But most, you know, lastly, do this with gentleness and respect. Most problems actually in, in conversation, in evangelism, in conversational apologetics, I think most arise not from lack of an answer, but from an answer being given in a disrespectful way. And in actual fact, if you don't know the answer, feel free to say, you know what, I don't know that. I'll go look it up. I'll ask someone else, you know. I'll I'll look into it. I'll look at more of the Bible passage and offer to get back to people on that. And those that are genuinely wanting to know the answer will think, will go, yeah, that's fine. I'll I'll wait. We'll catch up some point. Okay? There's no harm in that. And I know that sounds like I'm contradicting myself, having spent the previous half an hour saying, be prepared to give an answer. Okay? But there will happen times when when someone will put a question to you where you go, I'm just going to have to think about that a bit more. And that's all right. Okay? But what's really detrimental is doing things in a disrespectful way. Okay? You can give the most eloquent answer. You can give it detailed. You can you know, 
put across multiple points. You can quote references, scriptures, Bible verses, scientific studies. But if you do that in a way that seems arrogant, you're not doing anyone any favors. Okay? And if you put across your answer in a way that's deliberately intended to make the person asking the question look foolish or feel inferior, in actual fact, that's a heart issue and you need to address that because in actual fact, you're not speaking in love. Okay? And unfortunately, you will, you will see this, um, you know, especially now that we have the internet, the interweb. Um, there are, you, know, you can type this into YouTube, Christian apologetics and varying things, and there's some excellent things out there, and I'd encourage you to have a look at some of them. But you'll see, you know, title of a YouTube, YouTube clip, you know, Christian apologist destroys atheist speaker. And you're thinking, how's that helpful? <laughs> Who's that supposed to impress? That's only going to impress other Christians who are already on your side. And actual fact, it's just driving everyone else away from it. Okay. Our aim is not to destroy people intellectually in an argument. That's the exact opposite of what we need to be doing. Okay. And if your aim in having these debates and discussions is just to make yourself look clever, then obviously there's a problem there. It's always a good question to ask yourself. By giving this answer, the way that I'm doing that, who am I making look the best? Am I pointing attention towards Jesus? Okay. Am I glorifying him? Am I being respectful of this other person? Or am I just building myself up to try and make myself look clever? So we need to do this in gentleness and respect, and that's really key. So it follows on, actually, in verse 16. It says, Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. People will sometimes have a go at you, and they will mock you, and they will actually put, you know, try and put you down. But in actual fact, don't respond in kind. And if we respond with gentleness and respect, ultimately they'll just feel ashamed of the way that they've acted towards you. And hopefully that will start to even out. You know, they'll become more gentle, more respectful of you. How you talk to people is actually just as important, if not more important, than what you actually say. And that's true just in terms of friendship. You know, you're wanting to maintain an ongoing relationship with these people. It's also true in terms of communication. About three-quarters of communication is how it's said, not what's said. That's just true across the board. So I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea that in a year's time, not many of you are going to be able to quote this sermon back to me word for word. A few of you might, feel free, you know, get the podcast, memorize it. That would be quite fun. Um, but no, I'm, I'm okay with that because that's not the way that communication works, okay? Mostly people remember how you've said it, how you've interacted with them. I'll give you just one, one illustration from school. Um, I went to Gravesend Grammar and uh, in sixth form, um, I think there was me, a few others that were just widely known, you know, these are the Christian people. You know, if you've got questions or generally you just want to have a go, go to them. Okay. And there was a guy in my year that had a lot of very genuine questions. And I think was, there was just a lot going on um, in his mind. He was really, he really was genuinely searching for some answers. But he would always be coming to me and, you know, trying to debate with that, trying to put his point across. And it was interesting because... Um, Yes, our backgrounds and our worldviews were very different. Um, obviously, I was Christian, had been for a long time. Um, he was bisexual and an atheist. And 
came at it from a very different way. And he came to me one day and he said, Dave, I don't get it. You know I'm against absolutely everything that you stand for, but you still seem to treat me like a friend. I think it really annoyed him. Um, (laughs) But no, in actual fact, I was thinking, well, actually, I might not have done much else right. Um, Some of my answers might not have been perfect, but at least I've been respectful to this chap. And there was a lot else I got wrong, okay? There are probably a few people from my school that will have been turned away from Christianity because of some of the things I said, partly because as a teenager, you know, don't just have the maturity at that point, and also none are perfect. Now, don't beat myself up about that. I trust that God has forgiven me. But I try and remember, actually, that person I spoke to as a friend and I treated with gentleness and respect despite the fact that they disagreed with everything that I said, and that seems to be what he's remembered. So there you have it. You'll notice I haven't given you a list of all the, dif- of, of all the answers to all the difficult questions that people are going to throw at you. Um, oh, no, sorry. Um, partly that's because uh, there isn't time on a Sunday morning. Um, partly it's because, as we've said before, there aren't single right answers to these things. Okay? And it's about engaging with people, trying to work out what it is that they're really asking And it's still important to know a lot of the background around these things. There's some excellent resources out there. It's more or less obligatory to mention C.S. Lewis at this point. Um, I think you just have to. I think there's a law. Um, He was obviously one of the foremost apologists of the last century, and a lot of his work is still amazingly relevant today. There's other people um, that provide excellent resources and material. People like Ravi Zacharias, if you've heard of him. There's an excellent website uh, called Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, They send evangelists, apologists all over the world, and they do some outstanding work. They include people like Michael Ramsden, Amy Orr Ewing, uh, Joe Boot. Just type those those people into YouTube because those are sound, okay, just to whet whet your appetite, okay? But one of the things when you do watch those people... Most of them that you see on YouTube are actually, yeah, very clever. have got, you know, five degrees from Oxford and everything else. It's not just for the intellectuals. Primarily, this is not to be done to preach from a stage or a pulpit. This is to be done in everyday life, just to engage with people, speak to them, just gossip about Jesus, share your testimony, share what he's done in your life. People can't argue with that, okay? Be prepared to give an answer. So there we go. I'll wrap it up there, and just to summarize what we've seen, said, be prepared to give an answer, be respectful. Asking questions is just as important as answering them. Incorporate the supernatural into your evangelism and into your conversations, and just point to Jesus in everything and set him aside as Lord.